the end of series one, or maybe the start of series two. This is Wheel Life Legal Reflections on Vulnerable Road Users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hello and welcome to this edition of We Are Life. I'm Emily Formby of 39 Essex Chambers. And I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beechcrofts. Very nice to be back with you, Caroline. You've had a bit of a holiday. How are you? I'm good. Um, I had five days north. I went home to see the northeast again, which was lovely. And uh, I swam up there in my car and I swam back um, because of all the rain <laughs> we've been having, which uh, has it kept you off your bike? Oh, well, it kind of, yeah, I have to confess it has rather. It's just been horrible. So not a lot to report on the cycling front other than my, when cars go through <laughs> big puddles, it does make you wet. And actually, I've been finding I'm a bit more anxious on country roads that have got big hedges. Now the hedges have all grown in the spring and there's no curb and the sort of edge of the road's crumbling a bit. I find it makes it a bit more scary, actually, than, than cycling in London. <laughs> How sad am I? <laughs> I think it... It kind of um, muffles the sounds of cars coming as well uh, on the really narrow country lanes with the high hedgerows. So you're not quite sure what's going to come around the corner. Uh, I haven't been out on my bike in quite a few weeks, but this morning I took the route out of the village, which I would normally cycle, but I took it in the car and I had exactly the thought you're on about in terms of the hedgerows that you can't see around the corners in the same way. Yeah, I, the May blossom is beautiful, but um, quite frightening. But you've got yourself a new pannier. Yeah, I have. It's it's doing a great job in the cupboard at the moment, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it will be used. It's um, massive. It should fit my laptop and everything else. So by the time we come to record the next series, I should be cycling back and forth regularly because we'll be back in the office a lot more. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Absolutely. Because here we are ending our series one. Never thought we'd quite get here. This is our 12th episode. So we thought we'd have a bit of a, as they say, a wash up, have a look at what we have talked about, what we haven't talked about and what we might talk about in series two. Interestingly, one of the topics that we were chatting about amongst ourselves was how cycling has changed through the ages and women in cycling. So just as we've talked about your pannier before we end this episode we might talk for a little bit about cycle clothing which will bring us nicely full circle before we pack up for the summer sounds good so one of the things that um uh, i thought was looking back um episode eight you'll remember we had my colleague dan come and talk to us about the streetscape litigation and in particular the utag and tfl claim uh, now that's now listed for a court of appeal hearing which is due to be heard on the 15th and 16th of june 2021 so while he was involved in some of the cycleways, um, specifically the cycleway in Chiswick, the UTAG litigation informs a lot of the issues around that. So he's already said that he's prepared to come back and have a, a chat with us um, about the way that that has gone in the Court of Appeal. As you'll remember, we were looking at the way that the TFL had blocked off Broadgate ostensibly permanently to bar all cycles and taxis and while on the one hand as uh, the supporters of vulnerable road users you might think that this podcast would be in favour of such action when it actually got before the courts on judicial review Mrs Justice Lang 
allowed the UTAG appeal, allowed the taxi driver's appeal because um, she judicially reviewed the streetscape plan and guidance and the traffic management order. Now, you'll remember we talked quite a lot about streetscape and what it represented. And one of the problems that arose in the judicial review was the way in which it was uh, said that the Mayor of London and Transport for London had hijacked short-term COVID-related road regulations into uh, making longer-term transformations of London streets for the longer term with an idea of increasing tenfold cycling, fivefold walking increase over time. So whether or not that's a good plan, it was felt um, in the judicial review that that was a bad, it was a bad hijacking of two different um, strategies, um, shoehorning them into one issue. Um, but the second one that I think is particularly of interest was the the complaint that the consultation, uh, while admirable in many ways in terms of looking at increasing cycling and walking, didn't look at less able-bodied road users. And we've talked about the vulnerable being not just those who are uh, not in cars, but those who have mobility issues. The taxi driver said that they provide a public service in terms of taking vulnerable, uh, restricted mobility people around, and that needed to be looked at. And interestingly, the first instant judgment found that there had been a dearth of proper equality assessment of the streetscape process and the plan altogether. So I think that's something that we saw definitely come back and look at and in particular um, how sometimes you get a sort of shoehorning of one issue upon another so the judge felt that uh, the equality assessment that had been done uh, she felt that it read as if its purpose was to justify the decision already taken rather than providing um, a proper independent external overview see from your notes uh, that it wasn't evidence-based and it was mere conjecture which was not a rational basis upon which to transform the roads <laughs> well i don't think we could disagree with that um maybe <coughs> whether or not there was conjecture or not but conjecture never seems a good plan but we've certainly got the benefit of streetscape around us at the moment in terms of all the restaurants that are now open again and it's actually quite pretty they've put sort of barriers up with with uh, flowers and planting on the edge of them so people are sitting out in the streets and in some areas i have to say i rather like it that there are sort of little side roads that are now pretty much closed off to a sort of bistro style. I sort of feel like we're on a sort of French holiday since we can't go away. It's almost like being in a little kind of Mediterranean hill town with uh, cafes all over the streets. But I can see it's kind of quite maddening for other people. Uh, did you see that um, Twitter feed about the uh, woman on her wheelchair trying to negotiate her way through Soho. Yeah, I read about it, yeah. Um, and I can see how it can, it is a problem, as you just said, in terms of the litigation, looking at it from one aspect, but not actually uh, looking at those people who can't just walk walk through the, the gaps with, with two, two legs and they've got to um, manoeuvre themselves around. So yeah, yeah. No, there's one outside, um, just outside our offices, a restaurant have done exactly what you said, closed off a street, but there's a cycle path and shared pathway right next to it. So it's perfect. It's, it, it does both. It closes off the road, but it also has all of the access requirements you need at the same time. Oh, that does sound good. And of course, there are some places where you've got a big outdoor space like Covent Garden or whatever, which totally lends itself to that kind of that kind of seating but little roads in Soho you could see the difficulty she was having anyway we'll get Dan to come back and give us an update on cycle lanes in Chiswick and Hackney and all things streetscape so that will be interesting <laughs> 
Yep. And uh, the second, in episode two, we talked with my colleague Pete about e-scooters and the future of transport. Um, And as you have jokingly said nearly every episode, I try and shoehorn e-scooters into everything we talk about. Uh, (laughs) But they they are here and they're probably here to stay. Um, As we previously discussed, obviously, the trials began last summer in the northeast in my hometown um, in the Tees Valley. And since that time, They've expended out across the country um, to different cities. I'm just trying 57 trial cities. Two of the schemes have been closed down for one reason or another, and there are also five long-term hire schemes now. But I suppose the main news that most people will have heard is that the trials are finally starting in London um, on the 7th of June, and they will run for a 12-month period. Is there any commonality of the provider? Because we remember there was that proliferation of on-street bike schemes. And we talked about that with Nick, in fact, when we were talking about cycle schemes. And, you know, there used to be all the different people, most of whom have gone bust. There was sort of Mobike and Lime and Jump and Dilly Dum Dilly Dee. Um, and, and lots of those have, have disappeared. And I, I think there's a proliferation of different scooter systems being trialled as well as the principle of it, isn't there? Yeah, well, in London, they've gone with three providers. They've gone with Tier, Lime and Dot. Um, in Bristol, it's Voy. Um, in Newcastle, it's Neveron. So there's different companies all over the country uh, and they're all f- feeding their data back to the Department for Transport. And originally, the government trials were meant to end this year um, after a year-long trial. But bearing in mind London hasn't started yet, that date is obviously, I think we all thought knew it would be, it's being pushed back into next year. So that's been extended through to the 31st of March 2022. Whether or not that date moves again yet, we don't know. But the Department for Transport basically said that they were doing, doing it to ensure that they get the most comprehensive evidence from the trials, including those that have started more recently the end date for the trials were being pushed back. And as I just mentioned, London hasn't even started yet. They are adapting the rules slightly for London. Um, if you use an e-scooter for anywhere else in the country under the trials, the speed is 15.5 miles per hour. But in London, it's going to be 12.5. So they've reduced that. They're also putting geofencing in place. So you can't use them in certain areas. You have that in other parts of the country. But um it isn't used to stop you riding in, in royal parks um, anywhere but London. So, unfortunately, the Queen won't be able to go out on an e-scooter, well, a higher <laughs> e-scooter, um, in one of her royal parks. Well, she, maybe she could if she owns them. So that'll be her private land. Maybe ah. she doesn't, though. Maybe she doesn't, their public land. But, um, yeah, there was um, there were, however, a herd of elephants walking across the mall this week. So <laughs> Yes, I saw those. <laughs> they were amazing actually um slightly off topic but they're vulnerable road users in their own way <laughs> um I, but, I don't know if you could really describe an elephant as a vulnerable road user next to um, <laughs> a pedestrian or an e-scooter or a cyclist endangered maybe endangered um but there was um it, there was that interesting case about those poor i mean i felt slightly sorry from those students that had decided it'd be a really good idea to use the e-scooter when they came home from the pub um and um then discovered that you could be drunk in charge of an e-scooter to just as easily as you could in charge of a car um so i was interested to see that in newcastle they have put a curfew on their yeah uh, scooters yeah there's been a spate of drink drink driving arrests and uh, i know six men were due to being caught in march so they put a curfew so between 11 p.m and 5 a.m the e-scooters are immobilized so you cannot hire them they're just a dead piece of street furniture and apparently they notice an immediate and significant reduction in the number of reports of 
uh, irresponsible riding. Obviously, um, the Daily Mail have got quite a lot of views about the ongoing e-scooter trials. Um, and uh, I think they've done some freedom of information requests. Um, and they came up with a figure that 70 people had been injured during the nation ride to work nationwide <laughs> nationwide trials um, and 11 of those have been seriously injured but i haven't been able to find very much more about that at the moment there's also been stats about police seizing them and them being involved in different crimes so there's that angle of stories going out but there's also the the side of things where um, a million rides were undertaken within a six-month period on voice scooters kind of thing so and those are people who might have jumped in an uber and got a car instead um, sorry and got a car but instead have got an e-scooter and that's cutting down obviously on um, it's the environmental impact just from those million miles ridden versus a million miles um, driven in a car instead no absolutely I think um, the kind of way forward the two things that really strike me are firstly just that ease the sort of on pavement jumping on and off and as you know I'm a massive fan of the kind of higher bike that you just grab on the pavement e-scooters fit into that of just not having any you know we've talked before about insurance and bike theft etc etc once they're on the street that just doesn't arise but the other thing I think is interesting is that sense of retained control so you can turn them off at 11 o'clock you can geofence them so they can't go to places and I think we're going to see that kind of controlled you know, that control over um, where we go and how we go and how we use things is just going to become embedded in these types of, uh, of vehicular use. But that obviously only relates to the e-scooter trials as such. You ask quite a lot of people on the streets and they don't realise that private e-scooters are still illegal. One of my colleagues sent me an article about this going, I didn't know they were still illegal. And I was like, right, OK, that's... that's <laughs> Quite clearly, you've not been listening. Um, but <laughs> Halfords, for example, reported a 184% increase in sales of e-scooters um, by the end of November 2020. So I dread to think what the figures are going to be this year. Um, there are e-scooter shops popping up all over the place. Yeah, I saw my first e-scooter shop today, actually. So when I was cycling from Paddington to Chambers, just off the Edgware Road, there was an e-scooter shop. It looked like um, a pop-up shop. But I felt like saying, do you tell everybody what you're buying is illegal to use anywhere? But I didn't yeah. really feel like I could. <laughs> well, and, and, and the other thing is, obviously, in terms of insurance, Cycle Plan um, are offering insurance for e-scooters now, but they have to be used on private land. So they offer yeah. PL cover of up to five million, but you've got to prove that the accident or the injury that was sustained um, to you, to others, was on private land at the time. So it'd be interesting to see how many people actually took that policy out or claim on it. Um, bearing in mind, most e-scooters seem to be being used on um, public rather than private yeah, land. That's true. And then you were saying about the Daily Mail getting their teeth into various different accidents, but mm. there's been um, a couple of serious ones, haven't there? Um, what, what about that 17-year-old on the e-scooter? Well, it was the 17-year-old who knocked over a six-year-old and uh, the six-year-old suffered serious facial injuries and reports of a fractured skull. Um, and the 17-year-old fled the scene but did actually hand himself into police um, after a, a local appeal. He pleaded guilty and was given a two-year ban. He pled guilty to causing serious injury by dangerous driving, failing to stop after an RTA, failing to report mo and um, riding a motor vehicle without insurance or an MOT. Because this goes back to obviously what we spoke about previously is 
is that an e-scooter is technically a motor vehicle. So as such, you need um, a registration, you need an MOT, you need a license, you need all of those things. And he had none of them. Well, I think we can feel another episode coming on about e-scooters and mobility with Pete when we come back in September. Oh, definitely. And uh, I think by that point, there'll be, we'll probably be at least three months into the uh, London trial. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going. Well, maybe I can have a scoot to Chambers instead of a cycle. But, um, <laughs> so romping back through other things we've talked about, we had uh, in episode 10, we had our great discussion with Adam Tranter, who at the time was one of only two cycling mayors in the country. But that's all set to change, isn't it? Yes, we're getting one in Bristol, which is great news. <laughs> Did they um, did they um, canvass you for the job? <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw this pop up on LinkedIn actually, um, and it's well, she's two weeks into the role, or she was accepted for the position two weeks ago, um, and her, ne- her name is Leah Dehan, and she is also um, a cycle courier in the city. So she's going to do this, um, which is obviously a volunteer role in tandem with her day job, which is being out and about on a bike. In tandem, see what you did there. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, I not. Not wanting to be outdone, I did a little bit of research and I found that is a woman called Lucy Mahoney, who um, it seems that she wants to be the cycling mayor of London or is seeking to be. Uh, whether she's been appointed or not, I'm not quite sure. But in particular, what I thought was interesting, linking through her, was a discussion of C40 cities, which are an initiative launched back in November 2018, focusing on providing cities with support to plan and implement mobility initiatives for walking, cycling, accessibility, etc. And I thought that would be something that would be really interesting to look into in the next series. Uh, since speaking to us, Adam has um, put up on on um, his social media some really interesting pictures of road junctions that were adapted to make them uh, as fast as possible for cars or then slowed down for you know, pedestrian and cycling users and right back in our very first episode uh, we talked about uh, road design and uh, the roundabout that uh, was meant to be cycle friendly that had to be shut before it was even open because someone had had an accident and we never really did much more on that so maybe uh, in the next series we can have a little bit more look at um, something to do with road design which might be quite fun. No well definitely because there's just started a consultation where I live in terms of putting extra lanes in um, for the traffic going across the roundabout taking out something like 35 trees to put in extra roads but the best bit about this is currently there's an underpass that goes under that part of the road which is part of the cycle network and I need to look into it further to see what they're planning to do to actually make sure that the bikes can still go through because the new design would be taking out most of where the um, cycle path goes so I need to look into that further. Definitely get campaigning and get your new cycle mare onto it. <laughs> but um, we will also remember that we are lawyers and so we'll do a bit of law, um, have a bit of a look, probably do another episode on on some of the highways, contributory negligence, you know, just a bit of an update on cases that have been um, unfolding since we last looked at that. No, agreed. Um, and if nothing else, I can just talk about my case. <laughs> Always, Caroline, always. Love to hear about your cases. Um, You did promise us a picture of your friends on a Dutch bike, which um, I don't think I've seen yet. But it made me think after our last um, episode, I started thinking about women and cycling and found some really hilarious um, 
uh, information about you know women in the 1890s uh, when they started to cycle and um, doctors warning women that uh, cycling was bad for their health uh, that we're too fragile and sensitive to the exertion of bike riding uh, habitual bike riding is going to damage our internal organs this is in the sort of late 19th century lead to infertility or even death and members of the clergy preached against women riding bicycles and it was one of the first things that led to uh, adapting clothing wearing bloomers so basically pulling your skirt up between your legs to have bloomers so that you could uh, straddle your bike uh, which was called outrageous and an abomination um, and against the cult of domesticity uh, well outrageous and abomination is probably what people say about lycra these days well absolutely i mean so then it made me really laugh because i sort of ended up googling women's clothing for cycling now and of course as you can imagine there's a lot of lycra and there's a lot of it very tight and while obviously you don't need any special clothes to cycle and it's one of the things we've been talking about about um you know cycling being part of your normal wear um no endorsement, but I came across a company uh, that specialises in women's cycle clothing called Velo Vixen. And I just thought that was a sort of, you know, a, a hundred years later or 150 years later, a kind of fair move on from your bloomers to having your Velo Vixen. And another one called the Stolen Goat, which I thought was quite amusing. The Stolen Goat stuff is really nice. Um, <laughs> however, because um, I'm slightly on the large side, I can't get into it. So I get my cycle gear from a company um, and the female version is Fat Lass at the back. <laughs> and the guy's uh, gear is fat lad at the back so it's flab oh that's hilarious well i don't think there's any flab on uh, laura trot or laura kenny as she now is hoping to cycle in at least three disciplines in the olympics this summer uh, thereby possibly adding to her four gold medals already making her the most decorated female olympian of all time she's only one behind um catherine grange at the rower but hers are all gold i thought well you know that's 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 a pretty good full circle so I also listened to Women's Hour, uh, who had an episode on the 3rd of May, uh, which so I'm betraying all of my favourite listening now. Um, but the whole episode, it's worth listening to, was dedicated to cycling initiatives, uh, trying to get women cycling, some of them cycling in groups, which reminded me a bit of Adam's cycle bus to school that he organised with the primary school children. But talking about the difficulties uh, and the barriers to women cycling, even now in 2021 so perhaps not so much has changed uh, since the uh, women I don't think anyone thinks our internal organs are going to drop out but there are still quite a lot of cultural barriers and in fact uh, British Cycling have uh, set up their first diversity programme going forward from this year uh, in an effort to try and make cycling more inclusive as it you know really ought to be so that might be something we can look at. Yeah well you have the Breeze rides already which are female only rides um that you can go out and be led by a group leader if you're if you're starting out and I know most of the cycle clubs around my area now have female only rides as well and it's more to do with not that you don't want to ride with the guys I I just can't keep up with them to be entirely honest so it's a way of finding like-minded um women to go out cycling with as well for on weekend rides but um i think it's the day-to-day rides and getting that confidence to go out on the roads which is definitely needed so yeah that sounds like a great idea yeah so one of the things that um, that also made me think of was what we hadn't quite managed to do in this first series and we had looked at mental health and cycling and uh, we had talked about um the sort of psychology of exercise and in particular when we see people that have had accidents and are no longer able to cycle whether it's temporary or permanent and the really detrimental effect that has on their mental health Um, and that's something we didn't manage to look at uh, but i think we should uh, move forward to our second series 
Well, definitely. I think we we touched on it slightly when we spoke to Lawrence from Lacquer because of obviously the products they offer in terms of getting yourself back on the road and shipping a uh, an exercise bike to people's homes. So no, I, I, it's an area that really interests me. Yeah, we might see if we can get an expert to come and talk to us about uh, some of those issues. Um, helmets was something else we didn't manage to do. I can't, I can't quite work out how we didn't do helmets. We did talk to Dan about his collapsible helmet, but I think that was about it. Yeah, no. Uh, and also going back to these scooters, um, it's the same debate is going to be had in the, the next year regarding um, he- well, well, when the rules do bring, when sorry, when they are legalised, uh, whether or not cycle helmets will be compulsory, and it's probably going to be along similar lines to cyclists. So, obviously, giving people informed views on what a helmet can and cannot do would be great. Yeah, um, dash cams in Strava and a bit more tech um, is something else that we uh, we could look at and uh, recording rides and things. We we thought we'd have a look at that, and we have done it tangentially, but I think we can. Uh, perhaps have an episode on that as well next time around yeah no um and i think one of the other things obviously looking through back at the episodes is we tend to focus on cyclists obviously i mentioned e-scooters every five seconds um (laughs) but as came out in the um in your discussion uh with dan about when we were on about what actually constitutes as vulnerable so looking at pedestrians probably um looking again at um, pedestrian cases but also as we were saying people in wheelchairs uh, mobility scooters and horse riders again absolutely we did get our horse riders into our legal update but um i I hesitate to say if anybody had any ideas they could let us know because who knows if anyone's listening but we did hold out the hope uh that we would go so far as to have a segway accident i mean not that i wanted someone to have a segway accident but that we might include segways and i'm delighted to say that mike scott in episode 11 came up trumps for us there uh with his uh story of a segway uh incident uh so we managed to sneak that into series one as promised so we haven't been all bad no um and i think it's uh time for us to have a short break whilst we uh go cycling in the summer and uh by the time we come back as we said there'll be updates on trials we can uh, potentially look to get the bristol cycle mayor in to see what she says and uh have some new case law to discuss absolutely i think it'll be jolly good fun it's been a real pleasure doing episode one and i really look forward to coming back in the autumn with episode two thanks so much caroline and i'll see you again soon and hopefully we can get a bike ride in together over the summer oh that would be bliss absolutely as long as there's a glass of wine no a gin at the end (laughs) i think we can manage that all right then bye bye thanks for listening Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcraft and Barrister's Chambers, 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at dacbeechcraft.com and 39essex.com.